1: Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Brendan O'Neill Show, coming to you live from Podcast Live in London. Um, I'm Brendan O'Neill. That's why I present The Brendan O'Neill Show. Uh, And uh, this is a podcast in which an esteemed guest joins me to talk about the big issues and the mad issues of life in the 21st century. And I'm always keen to have guests who are interesting, provocative, maybe a little bit dangerous... And today's guest (laughs) conforms to all of those expectations. Uh, Rod Little doesn't really need an introduction, but I'll do a brief one anyway. Rod is a columnist. He's a documentary maker. He is a controversialist, sometimes by accident. All of us are controversialists these days, accidentally. Um, He writes for The Spectator, The Sun, and The Sunday Times. He has made numerous documentaries, and he was editor of the Today programme for a while, which always strikes me as quite odd that they (laughs) would let you do that. Um, it's, It's fair to say he causes a stir every now and then. Last year, some Welsh people reported him to the police after he wrote a piece in the Sunday Times describing the Severn Bridge that connects Wales to England as a bridge that connects Wales to the first world which is pretty pretty funny also last year Rod was nominated for the Islamophobe of the Year award <laughs> alongside me it was a great honor um, neither of us won I we think we didn't know which was a real shame but I did come second in homophobe of the year <laughs> right so there you go he's, he's on the phobes he's doing well But it was a real shame, not least because the prize-giving ceremony for Islamophobe of the Year Award was in the Holiday Inn in Wembley, so we missed (laughs) out on a really glamorous night there. Um, Rod even brings out the chattering classes in hives, and that's not a joke. In 2009, he wrote a column about Harriet Harman and whether or not he would sleep with her. We won't go into that, because he has since... Expressed regret for this column. Um, and an observer columnist said that the column that he wrote was so disgusting that when I read it, I flushed violently all the way from my breastbone to my forehead until I looked like I had German measles. <laughs> so that's the power of Rod Little. So, can we please welcome Rod Little? Hello. <laughs>
0: Hello. Thank you.
1: for that (laughs) you're welcome I want to kick off with an issue close to my heart close to your heart close to many people's hearts which is Brexit yeah and you have a new book out called The Great Betrayal Um, you're not allowed to use words like betrayal anymore (laughs) Uh, but you I believe you are off the opinion that Brexit is not going to happen and that their plan was that it all along is that it wouldn't happen Is is that right Pretty much. Certainly, I I don't
0: think the Conservative government planned for it not to happen. Um, But I think the Liberal establishment made sure it wasn't going to happen. And it occurred to me on the morning of the uh, 24th of June that it wouldn't happen. Um, That euphoric though we were, briefly... Mm. It was a pretty close call for me, actually, what way to vote. Um, I'm far more angered by what's happened since... Than, you know, uh, than the idea that we might stay in the European Union, which you know, I can see good sides to that. Yeah. Um, but no, it occurred to me that, that, that what I didn't get at the time and why I didn't write the book at the time, which would have been very prescient, uh, was quite how they would do that, how they would, how they would come to change the narrative on a, on a democratic decision mm. so that it now looks as if you and I are extremists wanting Brexit (laughs) when that is what the vote was for. Mm. How did they manage to do that? It's a a complex story uh, which involves, of course, the civil service, the BBC, um, Gina Miller, the House of Commons, which was six to one in favour of Remain, um, and big business. Um, It's it's less a conspiracy than just, I think, something absolutely ineluctable, that Mm. they simply would not have it.
1: Um, I think... uh, I, I'm increasingly of the opinion that they will not let Brexit happen. Yeah. But I'm kind of... Um, I'm pretty chilled out about that because I think Brexit's already done what Brexit should have yes. done, which has yes, caused a this complete and utter yeah. historically unprecedented meltdown among the political establishment, which I think is what a lot of people wanted... <gasps> to yeah. happen, to expose the reality of this political elite. But I think what I find extraordinary is, that is, is the amount of ex- exposure that has taken place. So, so all these people who for so many years pretended to be liberal and caring <laughs> and concerned about ordinary people, the, the, the facade has been completely and utterly destroyed. It's gone. And yeah. now we know that they view us with absolute contempt. Absolute contempt and fear. Um, yeah. Because they have seen that populist
0: movements, both from the left... And the right. Uh, I mean, it's their their way of controlling the narrative is to say that populism is always from the right, which is rubbish. You know, mm. it can be from the right, left. It can even be from the centre. You know, as it kind of was where, with with Pim Fortein uh, mm. in the Netherlands, and um, as Macron actually tried to present himself as a kind of populist. But there's these populist movements growing up because frankly, the divisions which exist within the House of Commons do not remotely match the divisions which exist within society. You know, it's, it's, and and Brexit, it's the last chapter of the book where I I say at least Brexit, the failure of Brexit has done that. Now, the the downside of that is that most of the people I talk to up north, you know, where I'm from, just say, well, I'm not voting again. You know, what's the point? You know, they they will never let us have what we want. The the better news is that I think it has exposed to everybody, particularly working class voters, that they are held in utter contempt. Mm. Um, uh, They're considered to be sick, racist, xenophobic, ill-informed. And that's one of the ways in which I think uh, the narrative changed. They're they're very important to to the remainer, the hardcore remainer narrative, which is to assuage their guilt at saying, you're not having Brexit, we do not support Brexit, when it was a democratic decision, is to suggest that that democratic decision was flawed mm. or was voted on by people who are themselves not democratic yeah. because they're xenophobic. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, that's, that's generally
1: how I think it happened. Yeah, and I, I think one of, the, one of the most important lessons of Brexit has been, the unresolved nature of the historical issue of democracy. So we all thought we had the right to vote. We all thought that, you know, the suffragettes and the chartists and all these great movements for the right to vote had secured that for us. And then we get to 2016, 2017, and we realise that's not actually the case. Because if the political establishment doesn't like your vote they can declare it null and void. Well, so I think the, yeah. the impact it will have on, on, the historical, on people's historical understanding of their role in society will be really important.
0: I think so, and, and it reminds us, I mean, you know, ever since I was a kid and well before then, you know, for a, for a good 150 years, certainly 100 years, we've mm. been of the opinion that democracy is a kind of given, yeah. that it is this thing that will always exist, uh, forgetting that it's actually a very fragile thing. And that it depends entirely upon the losing side having the grace to accept that they're on the losing side, yeah. uh, and the remainers. It's not all the remainers. I mean, this is an important point. A load of stuff was written about the uh, the demographic of these ghastly people uh, who voted <laughs> leave. These seventeen million people. Who on earth are they? Uh, and, and loads of loads of people came up with this thing that they were. Uh, 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 undereducated and um, low-paid jobs and everything. Not quite true um, once you have a look at the Remainer demographic. By and large, the Remainer and the lever demographic were almost identical, except for a small quarter of the Remainer demographic. And they are the people who, when they say, I don't know anyone who voted Leave, mm. mean it. Because yeah. they genuinely don't. And they work for the BBC, which is round about 93% uh, Remainer. Uh, I would say 99, but 93 is what I've been told. <laughs> uh, uh, the civil service, which again, you know, we know was massively pro-Remain. The judiciary, academia, which um, uh, universities uh, were said to be 87% uh, pro-Remain. And school teachers, forever hanging on to their coattails and feeling envious, uh, around about 70% uh, pro-remade, apart from in London and the South East, where it was nearer 90 And those people genuinely don't know anyone who voted yeah. We can't believe it, you know.
1: Yeah. It's incredible. It's, I mean, those numbers are staggering, and I think about them frequently. I mean, and the, the lovies, I forgot the lovies. And the lovies, of right. course. It must be 99% at least. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, I think what's, what's really astonishing in the numbers sense is Labour MPs. 95% <laughs> of Labour MPs voted Remain, which suggests to me that Labour professes now to be a party of the people because it has Corbyn in control, but it strikes me as being possibly the most out-of-touch political party in living memory. 95% yeah. voting Remain as against uh, the public, where, as we know, 48% have voted Remain. I, I think... Um, the, the, but it's the, on a journey, isn't it? The Labour Party,
0: a bit like the Democrats is on a journey from um, from having been the party which was supposed to represent the working class to being a party which actua- act- actually yeah. represents tossers. Yeah.
1: I I want to talk about those tossers in a minute but I feel no <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> but the first thing I want to just just on Brexit for a moment I want to ask you about because the thing that is so shocking to me and, and your book title reflects this. So Your book is called The Great Betrayal, and everyone, if you haven't already got it, you've got to get it. Um, what's really alarming in this current moment is that the, the political establishment, uh, they're not content with telling us that we can't have the thing we voted no, for. They now yeah. want to control how control we talk language, language about that. Yes, they yes. want to control the language. And if you say betrayal, or if you say yeah. sabotage, or if you say surrender, apparently you're a fascist. So yes, exactly. what yeah. is... I mean, are they, have they lost their minds, or are they now in such no, a powerful no, position that
0: they can do this kind of thing? It's crucial to the cause. I don't want to say anything tonight, today, rather, uh, that might cause Jess Phillips to be attacked by a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I want Jess protected from lunatics in the street just as much as I want to protect it from that other dangerous thing, reality. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it. it uh, that whole confected scene in the mm. House of Commons, um, choreographed by that toxic dwarf Berko. <laughs> um, <laughs> just. <laughs> with one after another Labour MP and some of the Tory remainers, of course, saying. We must use different language. We must use gentler, kinder language. Uh, otherwise, we're all going to be attacked in the street by madmen. Uh, and this has happened. This is from Jess Phillips, who once said she wanted to stab mm-hmm. Jeremy Corbyn in the front. You know? It's John McDonnell, who, who wanted to string Tories up from lampposts. You know? And they, <laughs> want a, they want a gentler language. But it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial. that You see, I think you cannot talk about Brexit without using the word betrayal. Yeah. And if you don't use the word betrayal, you're not actually telling the truth as it stands. I think it is a betrayal. Um, But no, they control the language the same way that they controlled the narrative for the last last three years, eventually controlled the narrative. Um, And it's crucial to them, so we can't say betrayal. We have to pretend that this is all part of a perfectly legitimate process, and give due respect to to those who, like Joe Swinson, will say, I'm a liberal democrat, Uh, I will not respect any verdict in a referendum which says leave.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're a Democrat? (laughs) Um, And so it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial to their cause. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And and Rod and I both spoke at the Social Democrats conference in Leeds uh, last weekend. And um, uh, Because Rod and I are both on the left, which often surprises people, but we can come on to that. Um, And Rod made the point that... if you can't use the word betrayal when you're talking about the Brexit process, then you can't talk about the Brexit process. And I think one of the things that is quite striking is that all these words that you're supposedly not allowed to use are all completely and utterly accurate. Yeah, that's right. They have betrayed our votes. They have betrayed their own promises. They are sabotaging Brexit. They are surrendering British sovereignty to the European (laughs) Union. And it's almost like their heatedness about the use of those words reflects their understanding at some level yes that they are accurate words yes that's right but that's I, right. I i wanted to ask you in relation to the the despicable performance in the house of commons what is your under what what do you think ordinary people around the country think when they look at the commons which fought for a few days to overturn prorogation and demanded their democratic right to sit on the green benches, and then they get back to the green benches and basically just have this emotional meltdown, all their weeping, crying, and saying... And actually then didn't sit on the green benches. They yes, pissed off. They, I don't know if you <laughs> saw it the next day. It was empty.
0: We, we, we must return for a bit. Just bizarre. Um, it's interesting, uh, and this happens with a lot of stories which the press and the public, well, the BBC, particularly, goes very heavily on. Um, and this isn't scientific, so, you know, um, uh, they, they, this big splash, you know, Tories are uh, 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 in some way urging people to to, to stab people, to, to be nasty to Jess Phillips. And you look below the line in the comments, even in The Guardian, what's wrong with betrayal? Yeah. Why shouldn't they say betrayal? Yeah. And overwhelmingly in favour of... Of calling it betrayal, even remainers, you know, and I say even remainers. I know most of my friends yeah. are remainers, and uh, I do not know one of them who would not vote leave in that in a, yeah. in a second referendum simply to respect the democratic vote. Yeah. So it's just that hardcore. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a bit. It, it's a bit like uh, the, the furore which erupted around your use of the word riot. Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't know if riot gate. Riotgate, because I, I, uh, it's always a pleasure as a journalist to take comfort in a friend's discomfort. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I read as much as I could have had Brendan's up into his neck in shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I look below the line there, and every single time, yeah. you know, what, what, what are you talking about? This yeah. isn't a story. This is r- ludicrous. Yeah. I think. I think. You know, it's not just the politicians. The BBC drives a lot of this stuff, um, and so does Channel 4 News and so on. And I guess it's why we're here, mm. you know, mm. uh, and why I, I'd never known that so many people were interested in podcasts. There's a whole nest of podcasty people back there <laughs> ready to do their thing. It's <laughs> Utterly bizarre, I'd never seen it. But, but it's sprung up because of this Absolutely. disconnect. Yeah between the broadcast media and the public. Yeah. Um, so uh, the short answer, I think I think people think, well, it is a
1: betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yeah, uh, I, 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 that's absolutely right, I think. And I think one of the reasons that podcasts are popular, and I sound like an old man when I say that, is precisely because the mainstream media feels so uh, I mean, biased is too soft a word. Yeah. I mean, they, they yeah. are just—they are machines of government. It's relentless. Yeah. Um, in, so, one more thing on Brexit is that the—the uh, the thing that surprised me—and I say this as someone who never, like you, never really had much faith in the political class to begin with—but the thing that has surprised me is the—is how open their betrayal of democracy has been. Mm. So you have the Liberal Democrats, which is the most ridiculous name for a party ever, who are openly talking about revoking Article 50, so just stopping Brexit entirely. You have Labour ignoring its millions of voters who voted for Brexit and just saying we will have a second referendum, which to my mind is also a betrayal of democracy. It's it's the openness of it. It's, It's the fact that politicians can now stand up in public and say we will prevent the enactment of the largest democratic vote yeah. in the history of this country. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm hitting my head against a brick wall because I do TV things or radio things or whatever, and I say, can you hear yourselves? Can you, can you understand the, how repulsive and historically unprecedented what you're saying is? How do you think we can get across to them how great... And terrifying their betrayal is. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I I think
0: it didn't happen in most cases on day one. Mm. You know, um, apart from two members genuinely of the (laughs) Cretinati, by which I mean David Mastermind Lamy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And you're my favourite. Conservative politician Anna Subri. <laughs> uh, so Anna Subri said on said on June the twenty-third before the vote, everyone must respect this vote. This is the vote of the British people. <laughs> June the 24th, she actually said, I only said that because I thought we'd win. <laughs> um, I mean she is so fucking stupid. I mean <laughs> it's just beyond. Um, but but Lanning said the same thing. Lamy on June the 24th. <laughs> Every time I mention him, <laughs> I just have this vision of him. I don't know if you ever saw the clip of it, of him talking about the lack of police presence in London <laughs> with a policeman standing five yards behind, <laughs> looking at him like that. It's just—he's a sitcom, that bloke. Um, but he said we've got to stop it. Now, hmm. most actually, most people in the Labour Party, and uh, certainly in the Labour Party, uh, and Paddy Ashdown, you know. no we have to respect it we have to respect this it's been that gradual change in the narrative uh, that they have now turned themselves around so that they can openly say Mm -hmm. no we don't want it and it's based upon partly based upon the passage of time I see three years have gone by things are different now if you're David Aronovich for example you will say three years have gone by and old people will have died (laughs) (laughs) and therefore we should have the referendum again um, I, I, just an obnoxious thing to mm-hmm. say. Um, so the, all of this stuff, the passage of time, the failure of Parliament, um, the failure to a degree of the Leavers, it's a filth. Who is that? <laughs> uh, all of that has contributed towards um, changing their narrative completely. Yes. And so that, now they can feel safe in saying, you know... Um, no, we need a second referendum, yeah. a, a confirmatory referendum. Yeah, yeah a
1: confirmatory, confirmatory referendum, referendum. <laughs> with Remain on the ballot paper always. Yes, that's right. Um, yes. But, you know, uh, it's interesting there that you mention Aronovich and others who have said, well, all these old people are dead, so, yeah. the, so the democratic vote, is, is, it doesn't matter anymore. And uh, I often find myself thinking, you know, they call us... Fascists, because yes. we voted leave, or we were in, and you think, hold on, you Worst people fascists worse than fascists. Lammy says we're the, the ERG and others are even worse than Nazis. They, they've killed even more Jews than Nazis <laughs> killed. Um, but you think to yourself, hold on, you people want to overthrow the largest act of democracy ever. You are openly talking about Boris Johnson, fantasizing about putting the prime minister in jail. You cheer when people get imprisoned for saying supposedly offensive things and you applaud the death of old people who are supposedly surplus yes, to right. requirements. And you that's think, right. you do all those things, which to me sound borderline fascistic, and then you have the temerity to accuse us of fascism simply because we want to break away from the Brussels bureaucracy. Yes, yes. You think, how is this even possible? It's remarkable. I mean, some qualified
0: caveats, you know, some parts of the Labour Party, um, Carolyn Flint, Kate yeah. Hurley, uh, yeah. people like that. Yeah. Um, and Carolyn Flint, you know, was a Remainer, yeah. but saw, and has stuck to that, and has, has argued against a soft Brexit as well. I mean, mm. And Stephen Kinnock, to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and even Jeremy Corbyn. You know, Corbyn has been forced by his parliamentary Labour Party into the position he's now in. I mean, it's rare that magic grandpa gets a word of thanks. But um, <laughs> but I think on this, you know, he, Corbyn is far more anti-EU uh, than Boris Johnson by a mile. Yeah. You know, Corbyn wouldn't get his policies anywhere through the EU. And, and, and he knew that and stuck to that uh, and tried to stick to that, but was eventually bullied out of it it's about the only commendable thing I can think to say of Jeremy Corbyn yeah but on that issue you know I think he was more sin than uh, than sinning I completely that's, agree that's uh,
1: and in fact I want to bring it on, to bring the discussion on to the tossers uh, around the yeah. Labour Party and because I, I agree with you and in fact I think people like Caroline Flint and Kate Hoey in particular but also others who are saying, listen, the people voted for Brexit, yeah. therefore we need to make it happen. I think they're actually, in the current circumstances, quite heroic people, Yeah, no, I do. Because that's I a did. pretty risky thing yeah. to say in those circles. And I agree about Corbyn. I think, you know, I've been thinking increasingly about the tragedy of Jeremy Corbyn. The tragedy of Jeremy Corbyn is that the only interesting thing about him for the past 30 years, literally the only interesting thing, is that he was an implacable Eurosceptic yeah. in the mould of Tony Benn, because he used to be Tony Ben's Bag carrier, and he was basically in that circle. He was really uh, anti European Union in a very interesting left wing way. And he's been forced and cajoled by people like Emily Thornbury and Keir Starmer and all these others. Emily Thornbury, you know, dressed up like the European Union flag and all, all that. Horrific nonsense. Um, so he's been kind of forced into that position. So I feel a very strong element of sympathy
0: yeah. for him. Just but on
1: that, though. Just on that. Not everything else. <laughs> everything else gone. Uh, yes. but I, But in relation to the tossers, I think what, the, the interesting thing about Labour at the moment is that, uh, that Labour under Jeremy Corbyn, which is supposed to be kind of old Labourish, is even more middle class and bourgeois and woke uh, and trendy than it was under Tony Blair. If, yes, you look at the, if you look at the breakdown of Labour Party yeah. members, they're now more middle class, and in fact upper yeah. middle class, than under Blair. Where have these tossers come from, and how, is it, how has it been so easy for them to colonise the Labour Party? See, it's, it's always good to talk about tossers. <laughs> um, I, I, think
0: it's been a, a, I think basically what, you, what you're seeing with the momentum hordes Uh, And what a pleasure it was to see their appalled shock when their hero was revealed as being very anti-EU. They couldn't (laughs) believe it. It's hilarious. Uh, But it's pretty much what Peter Mandelson um, said Labour needed to do in order to get elected. This is going back to the very early 90s, turn turn of the 90s, 89 even, which is you put your faith in the public sector workers and the middle class. Yeah. And you ally yourself to this vast range of fatuous identity politics, um, and to, to the soft idea of socialism, yeah. uh, uh, kind of non-socialism. Um, because it, it, it's kind of the BBC policy. Um, you know, the BBC policy actually gives Macdonald and Corbyn a really hard time over economic issues. But not, not, not over the stuff which Like immigration, which matters to a lot of people, you know, uh, particularly in the north of England and the east coast of England. Um, So it's been gradual, and it's been a bit like the Democrats have now become the party of, you know, the the east and west coast and have given up the centre. So the Labour Party has done the same thing. Um, It's slightly more egregious in the case of the Labour Party in that that was set up to protect the poorest of us, you know, as simple as that. And it no longer has any time for the poorest of
1: us. Yeah. Um, I think, to me, uh, as someone who who comes from the left in a historical sense, the the depressing thing about what Labour is doing is that, to my mind, if if the left is not about democracy, then what is it about? I mean, the point of the left, surely, was to give voice to those people who for a long period of time had had (laughs) no representation whatsoever. You get from Peterloo to the Chartists, of course, to the suffragettes. It was all about uh, incorporating the voices of those who had been silenced for so long. Um, So, in relation to that kind of momentum layer. Yeah, I mean, just on momentum. I mean, um,
0: uh, obviously, it was Ed wonderful decision to offer membership for three quid. (laughs) Uh, And so, I I was, uh, 2015, uh, just after Corbyn had been elected, I was still in the party, still a party member. um, And I was interviewing an extremely left-wing radical feminist, uh, in, I think it was I think it was Hackney. Probably would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, anyway, I, and uh, after the interview had finished, I said, so uh, you mentioned you're a member of the Labour Party, are you? She said, yes, yes I am. I said, oh, what ward are you in? Because I, I was a ward member, I used to go around with the leaflets and everything. I said, oh, I don't know. I said, well, have you been to a meeting? No, no, no. Once she was one of the three quid members, oh, had no right. interest in improving stuff in her area yeah. you know in, in the in the lives of the poor the blighted poor Absolutely. no interest whatsoever and I think that's true of a lot of momentum um, it's 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 a kind of um, it's what uh, Tom Wolfe called radical chic attitudinalizing isn't it? yeah uh, it's, uh,
1: it's bollocks basically it's it's, it's complete bollocks. and you, you you mentioned that identity politics and the thing that strikes me about momentum and that new layer is that if you if you listen to them or if you go on TV with them, and, and I'm sure you've done that as I have, you will find that the thing that gets them really passionate, the thing that gets them slamming their fists on the table, is things like the right of... Um, transgender people to do a poop in the right toilet yes. or the right of, uh, or, or you know they will talk about uh, this obsessive um, relationship with race yes. and the right yeah. to, to use the right language race is so, the biggest one race is a huge one race and gender are, are big issues for them and I, I, I sometimes think they don't understand how that goes down in the rest of the country no I, I, I don't think they have an idea or a clue about that uh, or if they do, it's
0: that they hope they are changing the minds of people. Yeah. Uh, and the problem is that racism and the the, the the cry of racist has now become so hideously devalued um, that actual you know there is still yeah. racism around yeah. in society, and it you know we should stop it. Mm. Um, but so many things now get lumped into this category uh, that that it's become almost meaningless. Yeah. The transgender issue is. Uh, Hilarious. I mean, it's just hilarious. Uh, but I also think it's kind of a, a tipping point. Um, I was I was interviewed about this recently, and I thought that with the transgender issue, we would reached a stage called peak wank. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that, that it couldn't become any more absurd. So we're in this in the position at the moment whereby we must say that. Uh, someone who is gay was born gay; it's hardwired. Someone who is transgendered was born to be yeah. the sex they become; that's hardwired. But it's not hardwired to be a woman. Yeah. I mean, these ludicrous yeah. things. It's, it's. And I, I know the public gets this, but increasingly, um, increasingly, there are certain slightly dissenting elements of the chattering class mm. get this as well, yeah. especially, of course, the feminists yeah. who are infuriated yeah. by, uh, by, the, by the, the, the second wave of feminists, infuriated by the transgender stuff, uh, and lesbians, particularly, yeah. because they believe they may not exist in 20 years' time, yeah. you know. Um, uh, and one is tempted to say to some of the more doughty campaigners from there, uh, well, you made your fucking bed. You lie in it. You know all those years of of uh, uh, because it was never about getting an equality. It's all about being better than now. You know, as mm. Douglas Murray puts it, it's not about equality. It's actually better mm. to be gay. It's better to be black. It's better to uh, uh, dress up as a nice lady uh, and then go to a strange toilet somewhere. <laughs> um, so it's liberal overreach, or what John Gray calls hyperliberalism. And I think the, the, the rest of the country, without question, I talked to the Corbynistas Easters uh, in my constituency of Middlesbrough South and East Cleveland. And they have no time for it. Yeah. And they don't quite believe it. And I yeah. put it to them, and they said, Oh, that doesn't matter. And I said, Well, you know, that's what your lot are saying. You yeah. know, yeah, well, I'm not, I haven't had any of them coming round my house. <laughs> you know, uh, fucking plant them between the eyes <laughs> you know, uh, so they have nothing to do with it in the same way actually uh, sadly <laughs> that they think that the anti-semitic stuff yeah. is uh, something made up by tories in, in yeah. because there are so few jewish people in in the northeast they can't quite believe it um but no it's 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 interesting but you know I, uh, one doesn't laugh at the feminists because they're now allies yeah. in this battle I think that's... Uh, one needs allies.
1: Absolutely. One needs as many allies as one can get. And I think the interesting thing about feminist activists and lesbian activists is that you now have this incredibly bizarre situation where if a lesbian refuses to sleep with, yeah. a, with a woman who has a penis, she is transphobic and that's bigoted right. and that's she right. needs to be cast out of polite society. Well, you think? or indeed if we do. Yeah. Uh, you know, if if um, <laughs> uh, if I refuse
0: to sleep with someone because he had a six-inch cock, um, I am being transphobic. You're uh, a bad person. Is, I, I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, I'd be up for anything, but, I mean, I just uh, you totally know. Uh, but but you got you got this idea of the, of the how it's no longer about equality, um, because of course it's not just the BBC. It's not just. Uh, the Labour Party, the Liberal Party. It's also corporations. You know, it's increasingly corporations. Mm-hmm. Advertising, where every advert on television is now a mixed-race family, yeah. and it's almost always a black dad and a white mum. Why are they doing this? You know, it's, it's, this, it's the, sheep, the sheep approach. But there was a, a, a Monopoly. I don't know if any of you played Monopoly. I think it's an awful game. But there's a new edition of Monopoly out where men pass go and they get $200 and if women pass go they get $250 to represent their greater contribution to society <laughs> 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 I, 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 and it just highlights exactly what they yeah. mean. It, they are better. Women are better than men. If I were to say now men are better than women, I would be held down, yeah. rightly. Yeah. If I were to say women are better than men, most people would agree.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's really interesting, the, the role of corporations and capitalist institutions in all of this because capitalism yeah it's it's you know the commonality between the kind of allegedly woke leftists who will go on the street with you know placards with karl marx's face and so on but they actually think in the exact same way as these corporations who are constantly pumping out these very woke adverts and these woke policies the thing that really struck me was when the financial times did its uh, list of the top 100 women in business one of them was a bloke called Phil, who um, well he's he's Phil on some days and then he's Pippa on other days. He's he's gender fluid, um, and he was literally there like a bloke with a kind of uh, five o'clock shadow in a dress, and he was on the FT's list of and you think this is just completely and utterly perverse. I, I think
0: I think that it will I think I think it is peak rank with uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I mean you are looking at a position whereby within 10 years 15 years there'll be no women's sport in America Uh, I mean already I think it's something like eight out of the top 50 uh, female sports uh, champions in America is a transgendered yeah Um, oddly none of the top men sports
1: It's, uh, the, it, it's, it's the misogyny of it, the fact it's that the it, it just, it. Yes, it, it just yes. brazenly is, is a situation where men come in and push women aside. But, uh, but, but, but schools, you know, it, it happens every day in my daughter's school You know that some
0: element of this propaganda will be shoved down their throats in almost any subject other than the sciences, but increasingly even the sciences. Yeah, that's right. Um, so
1: day one of our government... Brendan, get rid of the teacher training <laughs> Absolutely. Um, right, so on the language issue, I want to stick with that for a bit. You mentioned the yeah. way in which the, the, the accusation of racism is now used all the time to shut people down, to, to particularly leave voters who are all presumed to be racist. Um, it brings to mind what I consider to be one of the most shocking things I've ever seen on the BBC, uh, which is you on Newsnight, Sounds um, oh, Versus... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you were the voice of reason. The shocking thing was Emily Maitless, who just spent the whole ten minutes barking at you. Um, and uh, I say this as someone... I, I've always been ever so slightly sceptical of BBC bashing, but I'm warming to it. <laughs> because uh, the more you see, the more you think, what the hell is going on here? But it was... It, she just basically screamed at you and accused you of being racist and said... You're racist, leave voters are racist, isn't that the real situation? A complaint was made, the complaint was upheld, remarkably. Not at although...
0: first, it went to the to the normal complaints and loads of people complained. You've ever tried complaining to the BBC. I never have as it happens, but I looked into it because quite a few people contacted me to say they complained and the, pr- the procedure they have to go through is yeah. just <laughs> utterly sort of will-sapping. You know? <laughs> um, so the first complaint was rejected. Nobody thinks she was exactly right to tell that twat where to where to, you know. Um, but then it went to the executive complaints unit and they upheld it. Yeah. Um, um, and I've written to them and said, well, you could say sorry or something, yeah. you know. Um, but you know how it happened? i, t- I tell you how it happened. Um, which I haven't said before, but it, this is how it happened. Um, the production team didn't want me on. He shouldn't be on. Mm. He's a racist bigot. Because, you know, I make jokes all the time. I make jokes about the area I come from. I make jokes about myself. I make jokes about people from Oxfordshire. I make jokes about people from France. Every. Uh, I am an an equal-opportunities cunt, <laughs> what I am. Um, everyone gets it. Um, uh, and so, you know, I will sometimes take the piss out of Afghanistan or, mm. or Pakistan or... or Wales. Or, ..or countries with a... Well, well, Wales. <laughs> countries with protected characteristics. Yeah. <laughs> Whole countries with protected characteristics. Um, but they said he shouldn't be on, he's a bigot, he's a racist, he shouldn't be on, he shouldn't be on... I am on, they say to her, uh, well, if he is on, then you have to call him out. This is what it's always, the, the phrase always is, yeah. call him out. And so, so Maitlis, uh, who's not especially nimble in interviews, is forced into this position, I'm being kind to her now, actually, but of, of saying you spew racist bile every week. Mm. I'm on there to talk about Brexit. Mm. You know, nothing to do with race. Um, nothing at all. I'm on with that Tom Baldwin, who actually had to stick up for me. Yeah. Do, do you know, her most, <laughs> Emily's most challenging question to Tom was she was having a go at me, and Tom uh, uh, Tom uh, Baldwin broke in, and she said, "Yeah, go on, Tom," and that was her most challenging question to him. <laughs> I, I, it couldn't have. You couldn't watch that and think that that was you know, no. uh, a reasonable interview. Um, but they keep doing it. I, you know, the last book I did, I'm getting used to it, uh, uh, Selfish Whining Monkeys, which was, which was basically a blue Labour treatise um, with with rude jokes in it, um, obviously. Uh, but they put me on Channel 4 News, and who did they have next to me? Yasmin. Who <laughs> <laughs> immediately said, racist. It's just... It, They're like those fucking chatty Cassie dolls, you know, racist, (laughs) racist. Everything that they disagree with is racist. Mm. Mm. It's bizarre. It's bizarre.
1: Yeah. I think the the useful thing about Emily Maitlis' appalling behaviour, I mean, there are a number of useful things. Firstly, I've heard from people that there is an effort of the BBC to rein her in, Um, because people feel that she is out of control, which I think if that's true, it only reflects the fact that the BBC itself is out of control and has lost any sense. But it's a production team that's out of control. Yes, and I think it's lost any sense of being objective or neutral or the voice of the nation the way that it might have been in the past, and it's become the voice of a very narrow section of society. But I think the useful thing about it, I think a lot of people will have watched that or watched it on on a clip or a, a, on catch-up or something and they will have, it will have opened their eyes to the nature of the BBC because there is now no denying that the BBC is a, is a Remainer institution and, it, and and even if you look at the, the statistics of who's been on question time over the past three years 62% far more um, Remainers are on and 62%. completely unreflective of the nation so one question I wanted to ask you about the BBC, what should we do about it? Well, they've just
0: appointed uh, a director of creative diversity. <laughs> so they're very fucking proud of this, <laughs> and it's a lady called June Sarpong. <laughs> and I, you know, I thought, where is it that the BBC isn't diverse? Because over the last twenty years, it's done a good job of making sure that black and Asian people are better represented. It is absolutely true, when I first started working for the BBC, um, it was entirely white through seven floors of Broadcasting House until you got to the top floor, which was the canteen, when all the workers were black. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's better than that now. Um, but it is now moving into overreach territory. And if you look at what are the things where it does need to be more diverse, I would argue in terms of class, Absolutely. Uh, immediately. Yeah. But also, just simply in terms of opinions, your political yeah. the opinions that the people at the BBC hold. So I looked up June. I looked up June Sarpong. She was a member of the board for Bitter Britain Better in Europe. Yeah. You know, the first thing, how can you do that? When you're being attacked, as Tony Hall is being attacked, for a lack of diversity in opinion. You appoint someone to be the person in charge of diversity. Is someone who is the most one of the most stoic remainers in the country. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's. I don't know what you do about it. it. It's lost touch over the last twenty years or so, to the degree to which now this identity politics shite noses its way into <laughs> almost everything. Yeah, uh, and and pro-remain sentiment knows its way into almost everything they even got pro-remain stuff into Doctor Who you know <laughs> this is the new woke Doctor Who uh, and they they had a scenario in which Britain was attacked by some uh, creatures Daleks I think they were uh, I think it was Daleks <laughs> Uh, and Britain couldn't appeal for help from the intergalactic federation because we just left. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, and people complained to the BBC and said, "Look, oh, this is for my eight-year-old kid. All right, you know, just let him let him a few fucking cybermen shoot people and things. Just, just stop it." Uh, but they can't stop it. It's in everything. Yeah. It's in everything. You know, you turn on the food program and they'll... (laughs) I've almost given up listening to Radio 4. I turned it on a while back uh, on on an afternoon and there was a play on and I thought, oh God, it's going to be the usual, you know. But it wasn't, it was interesting. It was about how the writing of the music for Watership Down, the film came about. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? 10 minutes in, Is transgendered? (laughs) I mean, you know. And then, of course, they did water it down on the BBC, and you suddenly had. And I remember the book with great fondness from when I was eleven or twelve—a lovely book. I do not remember there being a transgendered bunny. (laughs) Strawberry had transgendered. (laughs) Furthermore, there were all these keening sister bunnies. There were all these female bunnies who were against oppression. <laughs> and it just... Why do that? Yeah. Write your own bloody story about woke rabbits <laughs> and leave poor Richard
1: Adams alone, you know? <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> but, uh, uh, a slight tangent. <laughs> but, uh, but sticking with the issue of, of, of language and what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say, um, I wanted to ask you about Islamophobia. Ah, because. Yes. Um, It's an issue close to our hearts. And you wrote a piece in The Spectator uh, recently saying everyone was talking about all the Islamophobia in the Conservative Party and what are we going to do about it? And Rod wrote a piece saying there isn't enough Islamophobia in the Conservative Party. So that begs the question, what do you understand by the term Islamophobia? Why do you think there should be more of it?
0: I think there should be more questioning of Islam. I think we've got ourselves into a terrible position whereby we exonerate the ideology and persecute the people. Mm. I don't think there's much doubt that a lot of Muslim people do get a rough time in this country. I think it's absolutely outrageous that, that, that white politicians should tell Muslim women they're not allowed to wear the veil. I think that's a revolting and undemocratic and unfreezing to do. I don't like it when organisations like his which has always been peaceable, even if it's views... I don't share a single word of them... Mm. Um, are blacklisted and told they can't speak. You know, I think it's absolutely wrong. And what we've been doing is persecuting individual Muslims and leaving this, this ideology alone. And I'm sorry, whatever way you look at it, Islam has within it a certain misogyny, a certain homophobia, anti-Semitism, and a lack of respect for freedom of speech and freedom of conscience. All four schools of Islamic thought agree, you know. Mm. Um, and I think we have, to, we have to say that we're not happy with that. We're happy with you wearing your veil, but we're not happy with what the veil stands for. Mm. We think it's about subjugation, you know. And so I think that rather than attack individual Muslims, we should attack the faith. And yet it is becoming increasingly almost impossible to do so you know um, there was a, a Commons committee set up on Islamophobia which 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 uh, delivered its verdict and said that if uh, and this has gone around and various councils across the country including Oxford and so on have adopted this that simply to link a terrorist attack with Islam even when it when it's been carried out by an Islamist is, ho- is Islamophobic and therefore a hate crime. I mean, that is just mm. mental. Mm. I mean, mm. and uh, it's an attack upon freedom of speech, obviously, but it also stops us getting to the root of the problem and how we might stop it, And which is why you hear uh, on the BBC, for example, you know, someone gets blown up, <laughs> blown to smithereens, and uh, who's the perpetrators? You don't get told. Sometimes you get told they're Norwegian. Yeah, <laughs> because this is a bloke from Somalia who spent a few weeks in Oslo. You know, <laughs> uh, sometimes you're often, you're more often told, uh, police believe that, that this is not terrorist related, uh, but that the uh, 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 the offender was uh, mentally troubled. Yeah. Well, we're all fucking mentally troubled. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, and it's an evasion. Yeah. And the public don't buy it, and it stokes up resentment. You know, if you don't call this stuff out, it really stokes up resentment amongst people who, much as with Rotherham, the Rotherham sex abuse scandal, believe that their fears are not taken seriously, you know, for reasons of political correctness. Uh, And
1: it's it's shocking. Shocking. It it brings to mind after the Manchester Arena attack, and Andy Burnham, the mayor of Manchester, described it as an attack by an extremist. Yeah, And, And Morrissey said, an extreme what? An yes. extreme rabbit what, yeah, what yeah, are we talking yeah, yeah, about exactly. and it's that unwillingness to say those words but I think um, whereas Melbourne so when there was
0: the attack yeah. in Melbourne as yeah. soon as Melbourne happened it was very easy and right the far-right extremists yeah. call out the ideology explain where it comes from
1: you know that's fine
0: but do the same thing
1: yeah I think um I completely agree with you on on the the existence of anti-muslim bigotry it's un, it seems unquestionable to me that muslims get a rough time but yeah. the, but islamophobia is a very different thing. And it seems to be about uh, force fielding an ideology and a religion from criticism. And I I thought uh, you and I were nominated for Islamophobe of the Year Award by the Islamic Human Rights Commission, which is itself uh, an an oxymoronic. Um, But the thing that struck me about that, and this is actually not even that funny, but in 2015, they gave the award to Charlie Hebdo. Yeah, and they gave, know, they, they gave the Islamophobe of the Year award to Charlie Hebdo at three or four months after their members of staff had been slaughtered in their offices for, for mocking Muhammad. And the, the absence of criticism of that kind of behaviour, the lack of outrage about that kind of behaviour, I think sums up the problem with the Islamophobia idea, which is that you can't even speak freely about oppression and freedom and so on
0: but it percolates down you know it it, it eventually becomes accepted that you can't do any of this um i, I, I wrote a, a little short for uh, the sunday times for tomorrow um which was about i don't know if you saw the story that this week Indijit singh who used to do thought for the day uh, for for the today program has given up because he's sick of the bbc's political correctness mm-hmm. he'd written something and then he was told he couldn't put it out uh, because it might offend Muslim people. And he said, but I haven't mentioned them any. Well, what are you talking about? He wasn't allowed to do it, so he's, he's had enough of it. Um, and I said that the, uh, in this little, tiny little squib, uh, which goes alongside my column, uh, you know, thought so for the day it would be far more interesting if it wasn't filtered through the sphincter muscle of a liberal BBC apparatchik. Uh, <laughs> and it, it actually had real religious people coming on. So I said, We need a left footer to condemn abortion. We want a Presbyterian on to smite the Sodomites. We want an evangelical <laughs> Christian to come on and talk about the whore of Rome. Uh, and we want an Islamist on to detonate just before the pips. Um, <laughs> Guess what? I I get my copy in advance. Guess what was taken out? Uh. So I can can be as rude as I like about all these other religions, but not that one. Yeah. You know. And, uh, uh, you know, there are... There was another case. uh, Sorry, forgive me. There was another case of this, uh, where I was doing something on, are jokes acceptable? What sort of jokes are acceptable? And I started by telling three jokes in my column. One was, uh, and it was all based on, why did the chicken cross the road? Um, uh, why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? That's, that's okay. Why did the pervert cross the road? Because he was nailed to the chicken, etc., etc. <laughs> and then my third one, which I made up myself, was why did the Muslim cross the road? Force of the blast. Um, LAUGHTER That was immediately taken out, thereby proving everything I was about (laughs) to say. But I couldn't write it.
1: But I think... uh, No, uh, there there are so many problems with that kind of thing. I mean, it's an attack on freedom of speech, it's an attack on freedom of conscience, but also, as you were saying earlier, it makes Muslims' lives harder. I think the best thing we could do for our Muslim friends and our Muslim communities is to throw open their beliefs to as much ridicule as everyone else's beliefs. Yes, of I mean, course, that's true of equality. Course, of course, yeah. True equality is that the Muslim has the piss ripped out of them as much as the Christian yes. does. Everyone that's should a, have that right. That's the aspiration that we should have. Um, so I think... Is that a microphone? Yeah, I think we've got time for, like, about three questions. But if anyone does a speech, we're just going to shut you up. <laughs> I'm just telling you in advance. So three or four questions. Um, Unless you're from the Islamic Council of Britain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. I uh, just wanted to say, please... Don't ever stop what you're doing, and Rod, never stop being yourself. It's wonderful. Well, thank you. (laughs) Uh, Given your past, Rod, given your past comments about uh, Harriet Harman's uh, attractiveness, if she were, God forbid, ever to become uh, interim prime minister, would that change your view? (laughs) (laughs) The reason reason I,
0: I, I felt bad about that piece wasn't because it upset Rachel Cook at The Observer. I, I talked about pulling Harriet Harman in a kebab shop late at night. <laughs> you know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. You think, well, it'll do, would not it? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and the trouble is that that got in the way of the point I was trying yeah. to make about Harriet Harman. Yeah. I mean, my problem with Harriet is that she's, she seems to me to be a B.M. pensant Metro feminist. So, you know, the women who are struggling on £4 an hour up in... You know, Middlesbrough she couldn't give a shit about it. Are there plenty of women in the city? Mm. You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and also the hypocrisy that you know she's against selective schools, but nonetheless sends her kids to them. You know, it's just the usual Labour hypocrisy. But frankly, of the options available to us as the interim leader of a of a GNU, a, 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 a government of national unity, I'd vote for her every time. I mean. You you know, uh, John Burkow, anyone? uh, What's what's he called? Dominic Grieve. Dominic Grieve. Old Mar Beckett, who once described herself as a moron. Uh, (laughs) We have had morons running the country before, so there's no constitutional problem. uh, (laughs) So I'd probably vote for Harriet of of that lot, frankly. Um, Ghastly woman. (laughs) <laughs> He's, so long as everyone calls her har-person, I don't mind.
1: <laughs> uh, anyone else? Um, yes, here, in the front row. Um, so everything you talked about, when, when does the whole edifice come crashing down? It's all, it's all built on lies. It can't last. Is it going to get a lot worse before it gets better, or are we turning a corner, or what's going to happen?
0: Well, I, as I say, I think we are... I, I mean, but it's partly wishful thinking. I do think we're at peak wank. I think the wave of wank is sort of (laughs) tilting over like that to to conjure up a nice image for you. uh, um, And you you see, the great thing is that when you investigate any of these identity policy hierarchies, you tug at one strand... And the whole thing comes apart like a mohair sweater knitted by a moron. You know, it all collapses. Mm. Uh, So we now have the lesbians and the feminists both hating the transgender community. But I, I, you know, it it starts a long time before that. I remember being in the Labour Party and and black members of the Labour Party complaining to me privately about all women shortlists because it made it more difficult for them to get jobs. So, So it all comes apart. How quickly it comes apart, I don't know. Uh, I, think we need, you know I think we need a new party to, to, uh, to, to point this out, which is why I'm in the Social Democrats. We're a you know, uh, fairly hard line on this identity politics mm-hmm. stuff. Um, we're for a nation-state, faith, flag, family, and all the blue Labour stuff, which I used to argue for in the Labour Party, pretty much what the Labour Party used to be about, uh, but a, a redistributive on economic issues but we're small. Um, tomorrow does not yet belong to us. Uh, but maybe the day after tomorrow, <laughs> once Brendan's joined, if you, once you've all joined, please, you know, if you, if, you, if, you wanna, uh, uh, if you're interested, have a look at something called the New Declaration. And if you look down there, I think, you know, you'd find that uh, there'd be a, quite a lot that you'd agree with uh, in there from the SDP. Yeah. I hated them in 83. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> I think um, I, I agree about peak... Wank. But I think um, in order to push it over the edge, it needs more people to call it, does, it out, to it use does, that horrible phrase. Because uh, I think one of the reasons it has had such an easy ride for so long is because of the silencing of criticism and the demonization yeah. of people like Rod or others who raise those critical points. And it's only the bravery of people who will stand up and say, if you have a penis, you are a man, yes. that will really push this stuff completely over the edge so that's uh, you see you
0: see how you reacted there I was at a Social Democratic Party meeting where we where the leader William Clouston, was taking questions from the from the floor just as, as we're doing now and the questions were all about economic policy and stuff what we're going to do about nationalize the railways all that kind of stuff and then one woman stood up I only have one thing to ask you can a lady have a cock uh, <laughs> Uh, at which point William Clouston said no, and that was it. You know, and, uh, it that's, that's what we need. <laughs> that's that
1: policy sorted. It's there policy you go. sorted. Uh, right, one or two more. Hi. Um, I'm of the mind that um, part of the reason why Brexit has been so seismic in terms of its impact is because it's kind of made undeniable the divisions in British society in terms of thought that were kind of Paced over in, in the Breast, sorry, in the Blair sort of years and sort of the generation I grew up in. And I was just wondering what you thought were going to be the implications of that going forward. <clears throat> sorry, I've got a bad throat. Um, yeah, like I think Rod alluded to at the beginning, there's these sort of groups and demographics that if they were on a Venn Vangri- diagram, they wouldn't overlap, you know? So I just thought, like, what you thought was going to come of that, you know, p- past Brexit.
0: I I disagree, to be honest. I don't think that... Everyone talks about this massive corrosive divide that Brexit has caused. I don't see it. I see a massive divide between a small portion of Remainers and everybody else. But, you know, I have conversations with most of the Remainers, and they're perfectly amicable. There's no unpleasantness. There's no calling you a fascist. It's just that... Bubble wrapped elite. Yeah.
1: That's
0: the only place there's a problem. All we've got to do is kill them. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. That's going to go out. You're not allowed to it? say that's that go, that's go, go out. Out. They don't want some all dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, all we're going to do is overthrow that elite. That's all we're going to do, <laughs> without necessarily killing
1: them. I think that's a really important point, because 16.1 million people voted Remain. Yeah. And the vast majority of them are really normal people. Yes, that's right. There are probably some yeah. in this room today. Um, did, I, I always make a distinction between Remain voters and Ramoners. And Ramoners, Because yeah. Remain voters are normal people. We mix with them every yeah. day. Ramoners are this tiny, infinitesimally small number of arrogant, elitist Yeah scumbags, really, yeah, who yeah. think they have the right to overthrow our votes. I mean, and who are insulated more... from the rest and, of us, yeah. insulated
0: partly by affluence, partly by geography. All, all, it's too late for this now, but uh, the American sociologist Charles Murray has, has seen the rise of this kind of class in the United States, uh, this, this elite class which is separated from the rest. In the States, largely by geography. Uh, over here, more by, uh, by occupation uh and to a little extent geography uh but also by affluence um it's 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 a huge divide uh,
1: yeah. and i don't like them uh but there we are yeah so. me neither uh right one more uh so it has to be a really good question because it's the last one no pressure yeah this lady here
2: um i heard you hate autistic children now so i thought i would <laughs> <bring> <laughs>
1: You hate autistic children. No,
2: Brendan, you do. No, I hate
1: all of them. Me? You. Oh, I yeah, it's me. Greta. I you hate do. yeah, I hate <laughs>
0: autistic children. He's a hater. I've told you, he wants riots in the streets, and he hates <laughs> everyone.
2: I can tell just by looking at you. Um, yeah, so I'm actually autistic myself, and not to try and bring the identity politics back, but. I worked in autism and, like, really near the top of the NHS and I actually lost my career due to identity politics because although the left, which I was part of, i am part of, talk all the time about, how, about vulnerable groups and how much they want to protect vulnerable groups, um, they don't actually care about disabled people, especially people with autism and learning disabilities, no. who can't no. go along... However much they try and however much I tried, I could not go along and be perfect socially. I couldn't go along with these new rules as they changed and as they became more and more complicated. I couldn't do it. Um, And I actually lost my entire career. I had to leave because they wouldn't tell me what it was that had upset people, but apparently I'd upset BAME people and I'd upset people um, by being homophobic in some way. And the only thing that I'd ever said about gay people was actually against gay conversion therapy. So apparently that now makes you homophobic. As far um, as I can yeah, tell, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: really sorry. I'm really sorry about that.
2: Yeah, uh, it's, that's horrible. Hopefully, I'll restart uh, my career and I know a lot about things now. And
0: but we need to get rid of protected characteristics entirely. It's apart, a, it's a load of bollocks. Apart
2: from um,
0: you know, sorry, it's, a, it's another plug um, uh, for, for my party, but, you know, what we look at it as is that, you know, we, uh, we look for the commonality between us all, mm. you know, not the stuff which divides us, because this identity politics stuff is so divisive. Um, and you're right that disabled people don't get the same sort of care and protection um, that some other groups do. You know, the aged don't either. Mm. You know, everyone hates the old now. Mm. Uh, <laughs> just as I
1: got there as well. Yeah, I think uh, the, um, that's a very useful point, and I, uh, it's just suddenly dawned on me what you meant, which is that I, I criticised Greta Thunberg, and lots of people have interpreted that as being anti-autistic, which of course you is not. You bastard. Think, yeah. Horrible person. But I think your point actually sums up the... Um, The ruthlessness of identity politics, which is another aspect of it. I mean, they are ruthless people. They will destroy you without batting an eyelid. They don't give a damn about destroying people's lives or casting people out of society. That's another important aspect. But, Rod, my final point to you, then, which follows on from what you've just said. Um, People are often surprised when people like me and you call ourselves left wing or leftish or or whatever we, however we want to put it. But I think your last point touched on it there, which is that one of the things that we're most interested in is common values, common common ideas, and and what can bring people together. And somehow the the so-called woke left has lost, lost sight of that entirely. So going ahead, how do you think we can cut down this identitarian, divisive horrid politics that's taken grip of our institutions and make the case for a more, uh, 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 common values, common ideals, and a sense of national togetherness?
0: Well, <laughs> you, you mean effectively reverse Grabsky's march through the institution. <laughs> we have to turn them around and march them all back out. And I don't know how you do that. I think there are things you can do. Uh, we're launching, the SDP is launching a campaign on campuses within the next few weeks, So we'll all be speaking at campuses and saying, look, join our organization, Um, um, start your own organization here, uh, SDP for freedom of speech, ever have any trouble, we will stick up for you, and we've got people who will stick up for you and spread the word about freedom of speech on campus. I think that that we should have a law which says that nobody should be, uh, no uh, no platformed at at, uh, universities. You know, universities are places where we should hear a huge diversity of opinion, and if universities don't go along with that, then find them. You know, hit them where it hurts. Um, the BBC, the BBC needs to be more diverse. I don't know how you do that. Uh, I, uh, you know, if you culled everyone in it called James, you'd get quite a long way down the line.
1: Um,
0: uh, I think you need proportional representation. I never used to think this, but I do now. I think we need. Because Parliament is so skewed in favour of of anti communitarian uh, values and in favour of individualistic liberal values. Uh, So we need to be able to get a party in there somewhere which represents those who believe in community and stuff. But
1: it's it's a long haul. It's a long haul. On that note, Rod Little, thank you very much. Thank 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 you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Brendan O'Neill Show. We'll be back with another guest and more discussion. Don't forget to subscribe. And in the meantime, keep reading Spiked at www.spiked-online.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.
2: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your
1: hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help.